I, I was watching a film recently, and I'd love to pretend it was the sort of film that I feel like stereotypical blokes should watch. But I'm actually really into watching romantic comedies. And uh, the film is called I Feel Pretty. It's, it's got uh, Amy Schumer in, uh, the American comedian Amy Schumer. In. And uh, basically, the, the plot of the film is that she's, she's not happy with how she looks. She wishes she, she, in her eyes, was what defined as more attractive. And, um, and she's, one day she's at the gym and she's, she's working out and she falls over and bangs her head. And then when she wakes up, although absolutely has nothing has changed about how she looks physically, she is convinced that she somehow magically turned into a supermodel. So um, then for, the, for, for a whole load of the rest of the film, she's wandering around just with this um, just absolutely, completely new attitude to life. And she's applying for jobs that before she didn't have the confidence to apply for. She's handing out her number to guys. And she's just really embracing the fullness of life. And, um, and then, the, the kind of, as the plot goes on, the, the, the moral, the, the profound point that is being made by this romantic comedy is all romantic comedies make profound points. Um, what, what's made is, is really simply by feeling pretty, she became pretty. Simply by uh, really um, becoming aware of her, her worth, um, she acted differently. And by becoming almost internally confident, it changed the way that she engaged with other people and they engaged with her, and it really transformed the way that she was living. And it's very funny, so recommended. Um, but I've been pondering it, and I know, it's, I know it's comedy, and I know it's a bit ridiculous, but there is actually an, a nugget of truth in it. And, and the reality is, for um, at least one of, if not the key to change, and to us changing as people is coming to realize how deeply loved we are. And, and that, you know, we see that in all sorts of places. We see that in psychology, the psychology of, of a child, and the difference between one that knows they're loved and one that doesn't. And we, we, we don't just see it in psychology in children, we see it in the mirror, we see it in ourselves every week. I, I don't know about you, but when I'm at peace with the fact that I am loved... Um, then I, I find I'm better able to deal with my insecurities. And I'm less thrown by other people who can be difficult. And I'm, 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 I'm better able to handle stress. And I think more about other people as opposed to just thinking about myself all the time. When I'm secure in love, it really does change every aspect of um, how I behave. And here's the thing. If that's the case, and I think it is, those of us who are followers of Jesus, it may not be everybody here yet, but those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have met, because he has revealed himself to us, God. And God is love. In him, we have encountered a love that is as, um, as deep as the ocean, as high as the stars, as wide as the horizon, and as endless as time itself. And, and this love that we've encountered is not the love of a Hollywood film. It's not the love of a Disney story. It's not a fairy story. It's real because he is real. He is the living almighty God who created the universe with a word. And he is love. And we have met him and we've encountered his love. And so my follow-on question for that is, if that's the case, 
why is it that I am as I am? Why am I, you know, if we're changed and transformed by love, why am I still the way that I am? Why do I still have the struggles I have? And um, the, the obvious, you know, the answer cannot be because of him. Um, but, but it has to be because I don't think I've got just how deep his love is yet. I haven't comprehended the vastness of it yet. He's not up and down, but we can be. And what can happen is we struggle to absorb the reality of who he is and the extent of his love. Um, and we bring with us into any relationship filters and, and baggage. Um, and so another incident that occurred to me as I was thinking about this was back in January, um, which for me was deepest, darkest lockdown. I'm sure you have your low moments uh, for the last year and a half. That was my absolute low moment. Remember that time? It was like, you can all have Christmas together. No, you can't. Christmas is cancelled. And then January, we're going to tell you the rates have gone sky high because they have. And the weather was horrendous. And it was grey every single day. And I sat there thinking, please, summer, come. Little did I know it would never actually arrive. And I, I remember just being, just being really not in a good headspace. And Beth and I were sitting there in our house with nobody else apart from our four children. And, uh, you know, I remember one evening, just Beth and I sitting there just, just really sort of down down in the dumps. And Beth's a real extrovert. And she um, just said at one point, um, you know, I'm just really missing all my friends. I just wish I could see all my friends, which is a fine thing to say. But because I was in a really bad headspace and I was really quite depressed and low at that moment, she said, I wish I could see all my friends. And what I heard was, I'm fed up with seeing you. <laughs> and so I reacted to that. <laughs> and I got really grouchy and grumpy. And I was feeling rejected. And we ended up having this big argument about that, that she said that, and how dare she. And of course, she was perfectly right. And I remember um, what, what I realized was happening is that, oh my word, all my insecurities and all my filters and all my baggage that I've brought into our marriage is all coming to the surface. And it's meaning she's saying one thing and I'm hearing another. And I... Um, in the end, we worked it out, but I remember there was one moment where she just said to me in exasperation, I don't know if any wife has ever been exasperated with her husband quite to this extent, but she said to me in exasperation, um, I don't know what else I can do to convince you that I love you. And I thought about it, and it was like, yeah, the poor woman married me. We've had four children together. What else can she do to convince me? And the problem was not with her, but with me. Not with her inconsistency of love, but with my up and down, up and down, up and down, and all of my filters and all of my baggage. And um, I'd like to suggest, and I hope this is the case, that I'm not the only person who, who does that. That some of you also have baggage, and you have issues, and that the problems that you experience with all these other people are not 100% their fault. Because we all do, we bring it into our relationship with uh, our parents, our children, our friends, and our colleagues. So, follow-up question. Do you think we bring it into our relationship with him? We do. And where there's, where there's a struggle and, an, and, and a battle to receive his love, it's not because of his inconsistency. It's because of ours. And it's because of the filters where he can say one thing and we hear something else. And you add into that the fact that the devil is also real 
And one of his primary, if not his main aims, seems to me to be to, to, to try and cause us to doubt God's love for us. You add that in, then it becomes challenging. And so his love transforms us. But part of the journey of our discipleship is coming to receive and absorb the magnificence of it, the richness of it, the endless nature of it. And one of the things that can help, and this is what I want to speak into to that end, is to take time to regularly dwell on, think about, chew on, digest um, the, the concrete demonstrations of his love that he's given to us. And there's so many places we could go to in the scripture where he shows the greatness of his love. And we haven't got time to do all of them in a, in a morning. I mean, we could talk about the fact he made us. We could talk about the fact that he became one of us or the life that Jesus lived, which is a life of looking out and caring and kindness. Or ultimately, the expression of his love on the cross and through the resurrection. We could talk about all of that. Um, but I actually want to zoom in on a conversation Jesus has. And this, this conversation is recorded in John's Gospel from chapter 13 to chapter 17. And in, in the course of the conversation, there's a lot of stuff that Jesus says that I would encourage you, if you have time, to read it at home, where he talks about, um, you know, he's washing their feet, and he talks about Peter's betrayal that's coming up, and uh, Peter's denial of him, and he goes on and talks about um, the, the role of the Holy Spirit. He talks to them about how he's the vine and we're the branches. He tells them what's to come. So there's an awful lot of content in it. But, but probably one of the themes, well, it is, one of the themes that's going on underneath a lot of it, and so that's why I'm just going to pick a few verses out, is this idea that he knows he's returning to be with his father. The, the cross is ahead of him, the resurrection is ahead of him, but ultimately he knows he's going to return to sit at the right hand of his father in glory. And part of his concern, because he knows he's leaving his disciples physically, part of his concern is that they never doubt his heart for them, that they never question um, whether, whether it's changed now that he's back in glory with his father. And so there's so many things in this conversation where it's like he's, he's, he's desperate to communicate to them, I love you, and that's never going to change. And I'm just going to go through briefly um, five proofs of his love, almost, that we can hold on to when we next find ourselves questioning him um, for whatever reason. Here's the first proof that just comes from the way that he's speaking to his disciples. He's really open with them. He's really open. And so he says to them things like, you know, truly I tell you, or I tell you the truth. In other words, this is how it really is. He says to them, um, my father's house, this is John 14, verse 2, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I, would I, I would have told you so. If that were not so, I would have told you. And then he says, and this, is, this verse is like, I think, it's like a stick of dynamite. He says in John 15, verse 15, I no longer called you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Think about that. He says, everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Friends don't keep secrets. And so I'm telling you how it is. 
And I want to push back because I want to say, I'd like a little more detail on quite a few things, please, Lord. You know, I, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'd love to know this. I'd love to know that. Um, but actually, he's open to us, completely an open book, if we would only open it, on everything that matters. He tells us who the Father is. He tells us who he is. He tells us who the Spirit is. He, we discover through what he says who we are and what our role is in life and our significance. He tells us what his plans are for the world that we're a part of. He tells us all that matters. He's an open book. He's open with me. He's not closed to me. One of the things that is, is such a joy to dwell on is the fact that we do not follow or worship some distant CEO sitting up there in his tower with like our 20 floors between us and 15 secretaries. We, we, we're with, he's our friend. He's our friend. So all we need to do is pick up the phone and he speaks to us. He's, we open the book and his revelation comes at us like a wave after wave after wave about all those things that really matter. He's open with me. That's the first thing that convinces me of his love in this moment. Here's the second one. He says to them, I'm going to go back to the Father. Um, but then he says, chapter 14, verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. This, this, this image is, it would have been very normal at the time, which is the image of, of like a, a bridegroom and his bride. And what would happen is when, when a groom was about to get married, he would, he would build basically an extension to his dad's house his father's house, he would build this extension there, build a special room for him and his bride to share. And then he would, he would, they would have the wedding ceremony. And then there would be this big procession through the village or the town where the, the, the bridegroom would take the bride and they would walk usually the longest route they could find. So everyone had the chance to celebrate and welcome them as a couple. And they would walk back to this place that he had prepared that would become their marriage home. That is a custom we're going to see happening more and more and more in England as property prices go through the roof. And it's like, I'm going to build an extension to my dad's house and live with my parents forever and ever and ever. But, but this was very normal in those days. And Jesus is using that image to speak of me and to speak of you. I'm going. The reason I'm going, I don't want, it's not that I want to leave you. The reason I'm going is to prepare a place for you. And then, this is what kills me, he says, and I'm going to come back and get you myself. This is the Lord of the universe. This isn't merely the President of the United States of America or the Prime Minister. This is the Lord of heaven and earth. When someone's powerful, what do they do? They send their minions. They send their servants. They send their employees. He doesn't say that. When the moment comes, you're not going to see his servant, his messenger. You're going to see him. I will come. I will come myself. And I'm going to get you. And I'm going to bring you to the place that I have been preparing for you. Swing low, sweet chariot. It's like he's, he's there. It's him. That's the second proof of his love. Just in these just short conversation. Here's a third one. Uh, the provision that he makes for them in his absence. So you know if you're leaving someone you love 
uh, whoever they are, let's say it's, you've got to go on a long journey and you're leaving your elderly parents or your little children or, or something. If you're, if you're leaving someone you really love, you just want to make sure they're looked after, right? And so you're leaving someone who you know is a little bit vulnerable. What do you do? What I would do in that situation is I would find my closest friend and I would say, look, here's my, here's my parents or, or here's my kids. I trust them to you. Will you watch over them? Will you look after them for me? Will you protect them and, 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 and nurture them, make sure they've got everything they need while I'm not here? And Jesus is returning physically to be with his father. And then what he does is he basically, he, it's as if he goes to his closest friend, the Holy Spirit. And he says, you know, we're, I'm going to send the father and I, we're going to send the Holy Spirit from our very hearts, from our bosoms, as it were, from like the core of who we are, spirits. He's going to come and he is going to live with you and he's going to be your comforter and he's going to be the one that guides you into truth and he's going to be the one that empowers you. And what's more, he says here in this passage in John, he will never leave you. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth to be with you forever. There is no moment, there is no place you can ever be if you follow him where he will not be there with you. No moment and no place. And it doesn't matter how well we think we're doing on our little scorecard of how well am I following Jesus this week. It doesn't matter because it matters on one level to him. But on another level, it doesn't because our lack of faithfulness never nullifies his faithfulness and his consistency. He will never leave you, he says. So physically, I'm going, but I want you to know the situation is going to be even better for you. It's a good thing that I'm going. Because the Spirit of God will come and dwell in you. He will comfort you. He will guide you. He will watch over you. He will help you. He will protect you. That's a third proof of, of my heart for you. That whilst I reign in glory, it hasn't changed one moment from when I was walking among you. Here's a fourth proof from this little conversation. He says to his disciples, um, I'm going, and here's what I want you to do. This is chapter 16, verse 24. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Here's what I want you to do. When, when, when I'm with the Father, I want you to pray to me. Uh, ask in my name, and you will receive. And... Um, and the way that I imagine this is it's kind of like that the answers to our prayers are almost like tokens of his love. Right, do you remember the days before phones where people used to send those quaint little things called letters to one another? And uh, they would write a little thing about, you know, let's say it's people who were falling in love and they were dating and it was before they could, you know, see each other much or phones were really, you know, making long distance calls was really expensive. So they would write to each other and a letter would drop through the door. And, and yes, on, on one level, that's a piece of communication with some information in it. But if it's from her or it's from him, it's more than just that. It's a token of their love. And the idea is that you write back and you send a token of your love back. And what he's saying to us is it's a little like that. It's like we send to him our needs 
And then he responds with answers to those needs. And they are not simply answers to a particular need. They are tokens and expressions of his love for us that is consistent and is present right now. And I've been trying to work this one through in my own life the last um, couple of months. And what I've been doing is every morning, um, trying to get up a bit earlier than my kids, and that's a challenge, and, uh, and just sitting, however knackered I am, with him um, and just bringing him my need. We talked about this last week. Here I am, Lord. I'm just a giant bag of needs. Um, and here's a few that I've got for today and, and just listing them. This person, I'm, I'm a bit worried about this conversation I've got to have or I'm stressed about this or would you help you know, one of my boys with this? Whatever it is, I bring him the needs for the day. And then what I'm trying to do, and this is really making a difference, is at the end of the day, however tired I am again, and I'm usually pretty tired, just taking 10 minutes. And it's not like, I I, I always figure like 10 minutes is going to make no difference to my energy level tomorrow. So I just take 10 minutes to sit with him again before I go to bed, and I'll reflect on the day. And I'll write stuff down sometimes, but I'll look at what I prayed that morning, the needs that I brought to him that morning. And then I'll reflect and, and, and see, did he answer them? And there's some prayers that are really big that we want to keep bringing. But a lot of the stuff that is great to bring is the little stuff that we think is important for the day. But it's not like changing the world stuff. It's just something we're stressing about. And what, what I've noticed is, oh my word, he really does answer prayer. I know I should have realized that a little earlier in the journey. But it's really hit me afresh. You really do answer prayer. And every single one of those answers to prayer, whether it's just a conversation that went better than I feared it would, or whatever it is, every single answer to prayer is not just the answer, it's an expression and a token of his love for me. And the same is true for you. So he says, bring, you know, pray to me, talk to me, bring me your knees. And here's the fifth one, the final one um, for us to meditate on. He doesn't just say, pray to me. Because what he also says is, I will pray for you. I will be praying for you. And you know, when we say that to other people, sometimes we forget, don't we? And so when he says it to us, we go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is the Lord. And so he doesn't say things he doesn't do. So he says, I'm going to be praying for you. And actually, in the chapters that we're talking about here, in John 17, there's this long prayer of Jesus that is recorded in the Bible. And, uh, and for the first five verses of that, he's, he's talking about himself, only for the first five. Bear in mind that he's about to face the cross. He's about to go through the agony of that. And I don't know about you, but when I pray, most of my prayer life, even on a good week, revolves around me. And Definitely on a bad week, it's virtually 99% about me. But Jesus in this moment, he takes five verses, even though he's got all of this suffering to come, to talk about himself and to ask for the Father's help. And then the rest of the time, five times that, he's praying for others. He's remembering others. And he comes before his Father and he says to them, John 17 verse 24, Father, this is the prayer he prays about you. He says this, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. It's it's as if he's saying in the context of the passage, Dad, you made them for me and you've given them to me. And even though I I am now returning to be with you 
and to share in your glory. Even though I'm doing that, glory will not be glory to me now without them because I have so fallen for them. That's what he's praying about me and about you. And so as we go into this week, this guy knows. He's going for the good stuff. As we go in for this week, remember this. Jesus' love is perfectly consistent. We are not perfectly consistent. We go up and down. We have our filters. And we have an enemy who whispers stuff to us. And so as much as possible, let's try to meditate, chew on, digest those things that are true. I'll just say them one more time. Number one, he's open with me. He doesn't keep secrets. Number two, he's coming back to get me himself. Number three, he has given me his spirit to be with me forever. Number four, he tells me to pray to him and he answers because he loves me now, today. Number five, he is currently praying for me that I would ultimately be with him because that is his delight and desire. Let's live in his love.